Last weekend, I was in Arizona celebrating my mom's 75th birthday. I'm one of four, and so all my siblings and their families were there. It was quite a crowd. One of the things that we did while we were together celebrating my mom's 75th was we sat around in a big circle, and we all took turns sharing an aha moment about my mom. It was a moment when we, in our interaction with her, or memory we have with her, we were, aha, I learned something about you. Learned something about you as my mom. My oldest sister, Debbie, went first, and she shared about how when she was 15 years old, she said it was one of the lowest points in her life my mom looked at her and said, no matter what you do, I will always love you. And that sister is 50 years old now, and she had tears coming down her face as she relayed the story. And I look over at her daughter, my niece, who's 22. She has tears coming down her face. And I feel myself getting choked up, and I look around the circle, and we're all moved by my sister Debbie's story. Because I think it reflects the heart of a mother. I think it reflects the heart of God. It reflects the nature of love. And we're in this series right now called Apprentice to Jesus. We're talking about what does it look like to day in and day out be walking hand in hand with the one whose love for you knows no limit. To be apprenticed by Jesus himself, moment by moment, day by day. Jesus showed us what the love of God looks like. Often he showed us that through story. One of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told is the story, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, it's interesting, with famous stories that you've heard many times over, one of the ways that uh, literary scholars will determine how a piece of writing is truly great is just its enduring quality. Can you come back to it time and time and time again and see something new? Learn something new. I mean, the same thing is true with great music or great art, great literature, great story. You can come back to it time and time and time again and see something new when the more you look upon it. Uh, one of the problems with Christianity in the West is that for many folks, it's become about being an expert of something rather than being a learner and a marveler at a great mystery. So for many of us, we just say, oh yeah, that story, story of the prodigal son, I know that. I've heard that before. We act more like experts than learners, but to be an apprentice of Jesus is to step into each new day with God as a new day. I haven't lived this day yet, and I get to live it with him. So it's like, God, what would it look like for me to love like you would love in this new day I haven't lived yet? What would it look like for me to live like you would live, love like you would love, trust like you would trust? How can I be apprenticed by you, Jesus, in this new day that I haven't lived yet? So we're going to read right now this very familiar story this morning, and I want to invite you to approach the hearing of this story again like a beginner like a learner, 
Just be open to the possibility that maybe there's something new in this for you today. Uh, it's kind of like students of the ancient scriptures will sometimes say it's like holding up a gem, like a gemstone, and just turning it and turning it and looking. And how does the ref light reflect this time? And what is the depth of the, you know, the light this time? So here is the story from Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Author Henry Nouwen, in his excellent book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, shares his profound journey in reflecting on this story for many years. Uh, Henry Nouwen was at a hinge point in his own life uh, when a friend had a picture of Rembrandt's painting called Return of the Prodigal. And for three years, Nouwen studied this painting. He had a sense that God was going to use this painting to teach him 
the true nature of love. And he had the opportunity to go to the Hermitage in Russia, where the actual Rembrandt painting was, and for two days, he did nothing but stare at this painting. It was just him and a guard in the room. He wanted to see it through all of the different lighting of the day. And for two solid days straight, he just marveled at this painting. The fact that he did that feels like an important reminder in and of itself, because I think many of us would say we long for transformation. We long to know the true nature of love. We want to see change in our own lives. But so often we want it to happen fast. I want to read a really good post that transforms me or listen to a quick podcast for 30 minutes that really changes my perspective. I want to read a great book and see transformation. The fact that he marveled at this for three years, sat in one room for two solid days, is a reminder in and of itself. It's like Nowen is teaching us in this story that the price of admission to this life of deep transformation is sometimes long. Sometimes it's three years looking at one image. Nowen is giving us a vision for true transformation. He is painting a picture of what real contemplative spirituality looks like. And it's not a quick microwave thing. It might take a long time, and that might be part of the point. When usually, when we come to the story, the story of the prodigal son, usually we kick into either-or thinking. So we tend to think like the younger son, he's the bad one, he's the rebellious one. The older son, he's the goody two-shoes, he does it right. So you sort of have like this either-or, like, so we can either be naughty or snooty one or the other. But maturity will lead us to reject either or thinking and to develop both and thinking. That you and I are both of these. We are both rebellious and entitled. Both and, not either or. And Perhaps even more importantly, as we are apprenticed by Jesus, we get to take on characteristics of the Father in this story too. So let's look briefly at each of these. And as we do, I just want you to resist in yourself the either-or thinking that says I'm one or the other, to embrace both and that says we have both of these in both of these sons in us and to just ask yourself as we look at this story quickly in what ways do you see yourself in each of the people in this story so okay younger son usually he's remembered as the rebellious one the naughty one the one who acts out and rebels outwardly he runs away he says to the father i want your money not you i want your stuff I don't want relationship. While that is a terrible thing to say to a father in any generation, Henry Nouwen points out that the real tragedy in this story is that he is leaving home. Nouwen says home, in a deep sense, 
is wherever you can hear God's voice of love calling you the beloved. The true heartbreak here is that the younger son has stopped listening to the voice of love and has started to listen to other voices. The tragedy here is not he went out and partied too hard. The real tragedy here is that he stopped listening to the voice of love. He began to believe the lies of the culture. And whenever I listen to voices, other voices, other than the voice that says I am the beloved, I too have left home. And so have you. So whenever you believe what somebody else says about you is more true than what God says about you, you have left home. Whenever you trust in money as security, you have left home. Whenever you think, if I just accomplish more, have better achievements, prove more, push harder, make it, that'll be where life is found, you have left home. Because home, in a deep sense, is wherever you can hear God's voice of love calling you the beloved. The invitation home is an invitation to listen to the voice of love. The stabilizing, transforming voice of love. I think that's why my sister's story resonated with all of us so deeply. Because when she shared that, it's her at her lowest. It's her at her worst point in life. And it's my mom showing up and saying, no matter what you do, I will always love you. And we're moved by that because that's the heart of a mother, albeit an imperfect one. And that is the heart. And that is the voice of God as well. Uh, let's remember this about the younger son. I don't think we always give the younger son a lot of credit, but remember this. He does something super brave. He does something very, very brave. He comes home. He is brave enough and he is humble enough to return home. And how many of us, when we fail, when we fall, when we mess up, we just want to hide. We just want to go get some peanut butter and binge watch Netflix. We for sure don't want to come home. We for sure don't want to show up in our mess to the voice of love. It would be so easy to stay away forever, but he is brave enough and he is humble enough to show up owning the mess he has made, and to receive the embrace of the Father again. Most of us think about the younger son, and we can see ourselves in the rebellious parts of his life. We go, oh yeah, I identify with him in that way. But if you have ever shown up, shown up to the home of love, broken and bruised, but willing to be healed, then you know the courage that that takes. You know the power that can be released when you are humble enough and brave enough 
to come home. Let's talk about the eldest son. Okay, eldest son, he has the reputation of being the good one, the goody two-shoes. He's loyal, he stays home, he works for his father. All these things are good things. And just like all of us, he is a mixture of dark and light. His main problem is that he has this deal-making approach to the father. Like, I'll give you this and then I'll get that. Let's make a deal. But deal-making, deal-making, that type of relating, deal-making is not the way of spirituality. It is not the way of family. It is not the way of true love. It is not the way of community. It might be the way of the mafia, of the mob, but it is not the way of love. So for the older son, it's kind of like this if-then contractual relationship. It's merit-based. He is staying home. He is breaking his back for the scorecard. The thing about it is when we live in relationship in a deal-making sort of way, we feel in control. We remain in control. There is a safety in the contractual way of relating. I do this for you, you do this for me. It is easier to control, but it is not the way of the Father. And when you approach faith this way, nothing will tick you off more than radical grace. Because when the elder son sees that the father is throwing a party for his little brother who squandered everything, he is mad. And he is exposed in his entitlement. It is on full display. Now, most of the time when we read this story, again, we tend to think, like, which of the two bad kids am I? Reality is, we all have both of these kids inside of us. And, like we said before, much more importantly, as we're apprenticed to Jesus, we also have the heart of the Father inside of us. So let's look at the Father in this story. Uh, the Father represents the nature of true love in this story. The father in this story is a vision for us, a path to walk towards. As we're apprenticed by Jesus, we take on the characteristics of the father. God transforms us, and our actions begin to resemble his actions. So what are his actions? The welcome. The father has an impulse towards, has a heart towards Welcome. The Father is a person of deep welcome. Compassion. He is a giver of grace and of mercy. Affectionate. The story says the Father, while the Son was a long way off, ran to him, threw his arms around him, kissed him. He is affectionate. Celebration. This father knows how to throw a good party. And that is so encouraging to me. Like, I can get behind that. This father knows it's a time to mark a moment, to mark a milestone. Anytime you create a space of celebration where people can be seen and loved and known and celebrated, you are taking on characteristics 
of the Father, you are taking on characteristics of love. And then patience. In this story, the father leaves the party to go plead with his oldest son. He is patient with him. This is where he's at. He is angry, and he is patient with him. He is also generous. I mean, one of my favorite lines in this story is when the father says to the older son, everything I have is yours. He's generous. And we also reflect the heart of God when we are generous, not just with our money, but with our lives, with all the resources that God has entrusted to your care. When you are generous with your story, with your struggle, with a seat at your table, you too are reflecting the heart of love. You are reflecting the heart of God. Here's kind of the main difference between the two sons and the father in this story. The kids in the story are asking these questions. What can I get? And how will this affect me? That's what the kids are asking. What can I get? And how, would, how is this situation going to affect me? The father, on the other hand, is asking this. What can I give? And how can I affect the world? As we are apprenticed by Jesus, you and I change in our approach to living too. It is no longer about what can I get and how will this affect me. Your life, your impulses, your preoccupation becomes what can I give and how can I affect those around me with the radical love I've received? What can I give to the people in my family? What can I give to my church, to my school, to my place of work, to my neighborhood? And how can I affect the people in my life? This is the way of the father. This is the way of the mother. This is the way of God. This is the way of love. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, thank you that you not only tell us about love, you not only model it, but you are love. And as we come to the communion table now, we come to dine with you, to share a meal with you, to be nourished by you. That you might live your life through us. That we might love like you love because you're loving through us. That we might live like you live because you're living through us. That we might trust like you trust. Because you are trusting through us. You're living your life through us. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.